0: Hello, I'm Michael Hasted, and you're listening to Arts Talk Radio, bringing you interviews and news relating to all aspects of the arts in Holland, which are either in English or where language is no problem. We cover Amsterdam, The Hague, Rotterdam and the surrounding areas. Arts Talk Radio Online. Interviews and
1: features on the arts in English.
0: Later in the programme, Zoe Baus will be reviewing a couple of books which relate to the current unrest in Hong Kong. And we have some music from the Hague's Classical Encounters Festival, which this year will take place online. Although there seems to be some light at the end of the tunnel for the arts in Holland, there is, for the moment at least, still a lack of live performances and the difficulty of doing face-to-face interviews for us. So we've been scouring the archives again, and I found an interview I did with English actor Kenneth Cranham. Cranham was and is a leading exponent of Harold Pinter's plays. And I spoke to him about the playwright while he was performing The Father by Florian Zeller, which was a huge success around the world a few years ago, including in the Netherlands. I've done
2: a lot of Pinter, and when you did a a stage play of Pinter's, you've got this wonderful present, which is the cloth-bound edition. About Andrew Mcmasters that he was on tour with in Ireland when Pinter was an actor called, what was he called? David. Barton, Barton. No, it's a very, it's a very, very odd, odd, ordinary name he had. Yes. One of the critics of of this production said that he remembers me when he was young playing Stanley in the birthday party and spending the entire play in pajamas, That's and great. so he is me again. Play, and the lion is in the birthday party. Goldberg, who with me was played by Pinter, says, uh, you're getting on my breasts, Webber. David Barron. That's right, David Barron, yeah. You're getting on my breasts, and that and you know, the line in this one is, you're getting on my tits. And uh, so there's even some of the same lines. You no, know, you no, know, he, he's... He, on Christmas Day, I was phoned up. They wanted somebody to talk about Pinter, and they couldn't find anyone on Christmas Day. They got hold of me. And I, I went into to... to bush house to to record something on tape about him for radio and they phoned up bbc television and bbc television said good they wanted to film me i I thought oh dear what am i wearing i hadn't thought i was going to be on camera and so i spoke about harold and he actually went out on the news and um, i i said that um with with beckett it's as if you're in in a in a spaceship and you look out and there's a a planet you can see from the spaceship which has got three characters on it and they're waiting for Godot or or I did that one in the pots of Beckett's that one and um, the first part I ever played in in suited and booted at RADA was a a part in a play called Night Out and I played the same part that Pinter played in his own play on the television which got 15 million viewers can you imagine such a thing and he was called Seely, this character, and it was wonderful because I, I actually felt as if I had ancient lines, and and you know, I was in a, a modern suit, and uh, that's what that's that's what. The important figure in Pinter's life was the school teacher. He knew Shakespeare, but he was introduced to Jacobean drama by this teacher.
0: That was actor Kenneth Cranham talking about the playwright Harold Pinter.
1: Arts Talk Magazine provides the perfect companion to Arts Talk Radio with reviews and previews in English of cultural events in Holland. Whatever your interest in the arts, our international team of writers will always provide something new and exciting to see online. That's Arts Talk Magazine, all one word, dot nl. Arts Talk Magazine dot nl. This year's
0: Classical Encounters Festival in The Hague has had to be all but cancelled, but they are presenting a condensed mini version live online on the 17th of May. Here is a piece recorded at the 2007 Festival. This is the intermezzo from Felix Mendelssohn's Piano Quartet in F minor, number 2, opus 2, played by Kit Armstrong on piano, Eva Stegerman on violin, Johannes Erkus on viola, and Jan Erik Gustafsson on cello. That was part of Mendelssohn's piano quartet in F minor, number two, opus two, trailing this year's Classical Encounters Festival, which will take place online on the 17th of May. Details of that can be found on the Classical Encounters website. Arts Talk Radio Online. We're travelling much further afield for our final item, where Zoe Baus has been looking at three books about the protest movement in Hong Kong.
1: Until the spread of COVID-19, the Hong Kong protest movement was one of the leading stories in world news. Beginning in 2019, in response to the proposal of a new extradition law, the movement grew in strength and violence in a manner hitherto unseen in the small city-state. The advent of coronavirus changed all of that as the city applied itself to containing the spread of the disease, in spite of open borders with China. I recently heard from three writers who have had books published on the protest movement in Hong Kong. They all agree that the pandemic will not bring an end to Hong Kong's quest for freedom. On the contrary, corona may well have brought a welcome respite for campaigners who are now preparing once more for the local elections due to take place there in September. The story of Hong Kong is a fascinating one. It is the story of a city-state that has survived when many predicted its collapse. As author of recently released Vigil Hong Kong on the Brink, Jeffrey Wasserstrom puts it, Hong Kong has a tendency to make fools of forecasters. His recent book traces the history of the small territory from the opium wars of the 19th century up until the Umbrella Movement, which ended in 2016. Professor of History at University of California, Wasserstrom specializes in the study of protest movements. In his book, he draws on the histories of the social protests in China and the freedom movements in Eastern Europe in the early 90s in order to shed light on current Hong Kong protests. From this wider perspective, he presents China as an imperial power and Hong Kong as one of its colonies. I met Jason Ng a couple of years ago when he visited The Hague for the Movies That Matters Festival. He came on behalf of the now-famous poster boy of the protest movement, Joshua Wong, who was not allowed to leave Hong Kong at that time. The award-winning documentary about Wong's life called Joshua, Teenager vs. Superpower was being screened at the festival. A lawyer and an activist, Jason Ng recently co-authored Wong's biography. It's called unfree speech, the threat to global democracy, and why we must act now. He describes the biography as a call to arms and hopes that Wong's story will empower and inspire people to realize that one person can make a difference, even against a superpower like China. Born and raised in Hong Kong, Ning sees the protest movement as what he terms a long game. He is confident that in spite of the pandemic, protesters will continue their campaign. The Hong Kong government is always capable of doing something spectacularly stupid to bring people back out on the streets, is how he puts it. City on fire, the fight for Hong Kong is best-selling writer and lawyer Anthony Dapperin's latest book. Originally from Australia, Anthony has lived and worked in Beijing and Hong Kong for more than 20 years and is a fluent Mandarin speaker. He admits to an initial reluctance to move from Beijing to Hong Kong in 2010, but now is deeply involved in charting the small city-state's fight for freedom. Dapperin's writing follows the protesters on the ground – For example, he describes in detail the experience of being caught in tear gas, the so-called all-you-can-eat protest buffet, which is how locals describe the hundreds of rounds of tear gas fired at them by police. The writer witnessed firsthand what he terms the enormous power of tear gas to mould a crowd together, and he recalls how the spectacle of tear gas came to define life in Hong Kong in 2019. You're not a real Hong Konger if you haven't tasted tear gas. There is something unexpectedly charming and touchingly authentic about Hong Kong. I lived there for two years during the time of the Umbrella Movement and clearly recall walking the streets of downtown Mong Kok in search of the protests. I found instead neatly ordered rows of tents, desks and chairs where students could be seen studying or deep in earnest discussion. At the time, all agreed that this was typical Hong Kong. Although the long-term goals of the protest movement might seem ambitious, Professor Wasserstrom points out that what usually brings people together in protest is a short-term agreement on what they don't want. Increased interference from Beijing, resulting in a loss of civil liberties and prospects for native Hong Kongers, is something that many who live there definitely do not want. Reclaim Hong Kong is their slogan, and something tells me they might just succeed.
0: That was Zoe Baus. Hopefully for the next edition there will be some more current and local content. Fingers crossed for that. I'm Michael Hasted, so until then, stay safe and stay well. Bye.